You're listening to the Rob Review Podcast. Evan Rob and Laura Rob share their thoughts and opinions on teaching, learning, and leadership. And now, the Rob Review Podcast with Evan and Laura. This is Evan Rob, and I am here today with Laura Rob. This is the Rob Review Podcast. Welcome, Laura. Glad to be here with you, Evan. Laura, we are talking about a topic that you and I talk about a lot, uh, certainly when we're when we're not podcasting, uh, and that is growth mindset, fixed mindset, and how it fits into the power of yet. And the power of yet is the topic of this podcast. Laura, you've you've always told me that when we start a podcast, I need to share a story from uh, my uh, less than fabulous educational experiences, and I and I definitely have one here. I mean, of course, this relates to the power of yet. I remember when I was in high school. I was in uh, 10th grade math class. And the way that it was taught, the, the teacher would put an example up on the board. We would practice the example. And then we would do homework and go home. Every Friday, we would take a test. And I remember specifically the quadratic equation. And he demonstrated it two times. He leaned back, put his hand on, on his hip and said, that's all you got to do. Just stick them in and crank them out meaning put the numbers into the formula and crank them out. And, of course, he was famous for giving these 10-question tests every Friday. And naturally, there's not a lot of wiggle room there to do well. So I would typically miss three, two, five, or more. Um, and, of course, wound up doing extremely poorly in that class because that was a class where learning was never about progressing. It wasn't about, okay, you don't have it now. You have an opportunity to grow. That was a class where the teacher presented it, you either got it or you didn't. If you got it, you made a high grade. If you didn't, you made a low grade. And so what we're going to talk about today under the umbrella of the power of yet is the teacher's role in helping to uh, help students understand the power of yet and how teachers can help students shape or reshape their thinking about the power of yet. That's a very important point, Evan. And you know, uh, what this teacher should have done is early in the week, figured out who needed support or who needed additional strategies for working on quadratic equations and which students, for some reason, were getting it very quickly. I think teachers embrace the, you get it quickly or else not at all, but there are students who take a longer time to get there And when they arrive, they have a deeper understanding of math than those flash in the pan, you know, I got it today, uh, the first day student. So the teacher really missed an opportunity at the very beginning of teaching. The second missed opportunity was when the test grade came in. Yeah, I would say that if you give that particular advice to that teacher, he would have looked at you like a deer in the headlights. He would have had absolutely no clue what you're talking about. So... But it is what it is, and, and of course, I have lots of stories, and I have many, many more that I'll be sharing, and I'm excited about sharing those. But let's talk about what what does the teacher need to say to students, again, who, who are not getting it? What, what kind of communication would be positive, uh, and what kind of communication could be, could be hurtful? Okay, well, a positive way of doing it is pointing out all the... Uh, parts of whatever the teacher is teaching that the student has gotten. See, you've gotten A, B, C, and now we're going to, I'm going to give you strategies and time to practice that will help you get to 
the goal, which is totally understanding and applying this concept. You know, and I think that's that's such a great example because if, if there's four questions and a student gets three of them, that is a 75. But it's also an opportunity to say, look, you got three out of the four and we're going to work on the skills you need to master the fourth and then you'll be able to get them all. I've known teachers who point out, well, you got one or two out of 10. That's a beginning. Um, and then it's the job of the teacher to help the child see the progress. When you're working on, on issues like this, the increments of progress can be small or they can be big leaps. Whether they're small or large, it's the teacher's responsibility to help the child see each day that they're further along the path to getting it than when they started. So the desire to work at hard remains. Yeah, and I think um, helping kids you know, build that desire to work hard, you know, what we call grit, is a, is a wonderful skill for kids. And you know, you uh, talking about this is jarring some memories in me from when I was back in that 10th grade class. And I do remember one particular time when I took a quiz and I made a 25 on it. And my teacher came up to me and I guess he was trying to motivate me. He said, Evan, I want 100% improvement next week. And I said, well, sir, that's still only a 50. Don't hold back the laughter, Mom, but, but that is absolutely something that happened to me. Yeah. And that's one of the very negative responses, because what it tells a child is, okay, you're going to work hard all week, and all you're going to get is a 50. Uh, we have to put the grade aside when we're helping a child move from uh, just beginning understanding to full understanding so that it becomes part of their learning repertoire. And I think it's a really good point. It's something that, that we need people to think about. It's beyond the, the scope of our podcast today. But if, if teachers either purposely or inadvertently make learning you know, a, a chase of points, then they're missing out on the opportunity for students to understand where they are presently as a learner and where they could go as a learner. Right. One of my favorite comments to students is I begin to notice each day the progress that they're making. And then maybe on the third or fourth day, I'll say, I want you to notice. Um, and I think that once I see them noticing, they've they've kind of like jumped over a huge hurdle because they're beginning to, to understand uh, what progress is and that it doesn't just come uh, in, in an instant. Well, let's also talk about, you know, sometimes one of the challenges that I see with, with, with young kids in school, and this has to do with a fixed mindset, which can be a generational thing in a family. So you can have a student who believes that there's no way that they can do well in math. And, and, and it's very real to them. The reason they believe they can't do well in math is because they are told at the dinner table every night that not only could their parents not do math, but their parents and their parents couldn't do math. Generationally bad at math. Um, so students come into school feeling, well, how could I be any different? No one could be good at my family in, in math. That's clearly a fixed mindset way Absolutely. of thinking. What you're always going to recommend is we have to help that, that student start seeing themselves as someone who can learn math by helping them view learning under the power of yet versus I didn't get it or I simply got it. And additionally, helping the child understand that it isn't genetic. You know, math is not a gene uh, that, that you have. Um, but uh, a lot of students who excel in math work very hard. Um, and that's the same for any subject. And I think, you know, think of the iceberg. You see the iceberg on top, um, but you don't see everything uh, 
um, underneath it. The same with a, a volcano in the ocean. So the part underneath represents you know, hard work, revisiting a strategy until you get it, practicing so that it becomes natural to you. And you need a cheerleader along the way. And the teacher is your cheerleader at school. And we have to help parents, if possible, become the child's cheerleader at home. You know, and I think there are opportunities also that administrators can think about who are listening to this podcast because it works best in a school when everyone's speaking the same language um, amongst themselves Absolutely. as faculty and also in how they communicate to students. Um, it can be it can deliver a confusing message to a child if one teacher is really focused on their development as a learner uh, and, and helping them understand that learning and the power of yet are things that can that can relate to their world versus another teacher who's doing some of the things that I experienced you know when I was in school. They're dichotomous and they're not helpful for kids. So there is an opportunity for book study, for article study, for conversations within a building to make sure that people are speaking the same language and understanding things. Uh, in terms of their role as a teacher and um, and how we want students to respond to learning within the building. I know you have a couple recommendations, a couple takeaways, and we always like to give a couple takeaways to our audience when we um, get near the end of a podcast. Well, one of my first takeaways is <clears throat> when something challenges a child and they're not doing well at first, that they should look at that not doing well as information how can we study that information? What can, how can we look at it to find ways to help them overcome the challenge? That's a lifelong lesson. If we can show a child that again and again, eventually they're going to approach all kinds of problems in life with the same mindset, that it's information that will help me. The second one is uh, not telling a child they're brilliant or they're smart or saying, A, you're a fabulous student, because that puts them into that fixed mindset. What instead we want to tell the child is what they did well. Did they uh, write a story that was compelling? Uh, did they develop the characters well? Um, if they're writing an essay about something they read, did they get a tremendous depth of meaning and they were able to express it or make connections? I want the child to know what worked so that they can repeat it again. Yeah, I think it's really important, and I don't want to interrupt your flow, but specific praise is, is very, very important when, when adults um, communicate to children. And I, I know it's not necessarily ill-intended, but the comment of, you're brilliant, you're the smartest person in the round, you're my, you're my, my family's Einstein. I, it's not pe that people mean harm when they say those things, but they're not necessarily helping a student develop as a, as a learner. Absolutely. And, you know, when, when students answer in class, I, I, I tell teachers we have to stop saying right, wrong, or correct, incorrect, and putting a value judgment on an answer. Again, you notice the kind of thinking the child did. State it so the kid has a clear picture of, oh, I did this. I think I can do it again. Which leads to your third recommendation, which, as I'm seeing from what you've jotted down, relates to what you were just talking about. Right. We want to change criticism into feedback, because feedback tells a child what he or she can do to make progress and to improve. Criticism humiliates or demeans a child's efforts and uh, 
tells them, well, why should I bother to try? I always am told, you know, I can't get it or I'm not, I'm, you know, they internalize that criticism of I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I can't do this, so why bother? Well, cr criticism can set up, a, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy where students just believe that they're no good and they're never going to be able to do it. Criticism knocks people down, feedback lifts, lifts people up. And, and, you know, as we move towards the end of this, this is something that you and I say to each other a lot. Schools in the United States of America can absolutely teach without grades, but they cannot teach without feedback. Feedback is where is where it all is when it when it comes to learning. Absolutely, but you know, teachers don't come out of their uh, pre-service training in a university or college knowing that, knowing the difference that they're they're t they're going back to the way they were taught, and a lot of those um, ideas that they are continuing are very destructive to that power of yet. And I, I think that's all the more reason, you know, for for um, principals and teacher leaders in the building to seek out information, share that information with your staff, uh, help raise people's awareness and, and see some different ways of doing things. Laura, you make a really good point. And, and there's nothing shameful that a lot of people do things based off of what they experience or, or at times what they love. Um, but it's not necessarily the best thing for kids. But we have to come to an end of this podcast. Laura, I thank you for being here this it, afternoon. It was a pleasure. One of my favorite topics. I know it is. And, and exciting for me because your passion and enthusiasm for this topic comes out. And it's very, very, very evident. So this is Evan Robb signing off with Laura Robb, the Robb Review Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the Rob Review podcast. Check out our blogs at therobreviewblog.com and tell a friend. Thanks again and see you next time.